0: We took a couple of weeks off for the Easter season and Holy Week, but I remind you that we, uh, kind of early in this year, had started a new um, sermon series, kind of going through. We call it the books because it was going through the um, narrative arc of the of the Bible. The Bible being really two different collections of books. One is the Hebrew Scriptures, which is to the Hebrew people many of them a religion of their own. It's their national story and their history. Then there's the Christian scriptures, which is kind of our story today as followers of Jesus Christ. These two collections of books put together in one binder, we call it the Bible or the books. We've been starting our journey through the Hebrew scriptures for the past many, for most of this calendar year. And um, we found ourselves in a spot where the, the children of Israel were in slavery. They were they had been promised, their ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised the land of Canaan as their future place where their nation would grow. But in time, a few generations down, they found themselves in Egypt and they would stay there for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. At the end of those 400 years of slavery, God raised up Moses to come and bring them out. And they brought them into uh, this, uh, the wilderness to lead them towards the, the, the land of Canaan or the promised land for their ancestors. And so we kind of been telling the story because we're, we're using this as a narrative arc in this, this year. And we got to the part where they're in the wilderness wandering around. And so we call in the next few weeks, our limited series, we're calling it The Wander Years, okay? The Wander Years, because it covers a season of life where the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And why they were there so long, we're going to learn about the next few weeks. I'm going to lay a lot on you today as we get started. I'm going to give you quite a bit to kind of get us down into this journey a ways, because a lot happens in this time. We want to get it kicked off, so you'll have to... Buckle up and take a ride with me here. Before we get into this, I want to remind you about these wander years. It helps you appreciate what we're going to talk about today if you'll remember what God had done to get them here. What had God done to get them here? Well, for one, he had came to them in slavery when they cried out to him and heard their oppression and their, the cruel bondage they were under. He delivered them in a mighty way. He sent ten different plagues on the Egyptians the Egyptians were, um, had a pantheon of deities that they worshipped as if they were gods, and God decimated every single one of them. He said, you worship the Nile River, I'll turn it to blood. You worship the sun, I'll send darkness over the land. And he just decimated their belief system. And by the time God's done twisting their arms, the Egyptians finally let the slaves go free. And the Israelites are marching out of there, and then God leads them. So, look, those, that's ten miracles already. Then God leads them in the daytime with a a cloud that covers them and shields them from the hot wilderness uh, temperatures and keeps them uh, moderated and safe. And at nighttime in the cold wilderness, he leads them with fire. So he's providing for their needs and leading them. Those are more miracles. On top of that, they get to the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptians change their minds and chase them to recapture them. God parts the Red Sea, sends them across on dry ground, drowns their enemies behind them. I mean, miracle upon miracle. And we've heard the stories. I'm just rehearsing what we've already heard. You've heard the stories. But here's why I'm saying it. If any of us in this room had seen one of those kinds of miracles, I think I just named 13 to you. If we had seen one of those miracles in our life, we would never get over it. We would talk about it. It would be like, can you believe? I mean, it'd be like a defining moment of our life to have one of those things happen that we talked about today. It's amazing. It's truly remarkable. And here they experienced all this mighty hand of God to bring them to freedom and towards that promised land. And yet... It gets dicey from here. I'd love to tell you that it's a happy story, but what happens in these wilderness wanderings is quite maddening. You're like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? However, I want to caution us how we should approach the story, the attitude by which we should approach the story. And the best way to understand how we should approach this is to fast forward from that time 1,500 years later when the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And the reason why this is a big deal is because Paul is talking to them about our attitude towards these scriptures. And here's what I want you to see. In the story, you have a bunch of people that we might say, I don't care about the Hebrew story. It's not my story. Why would I care about the Hebrew story? I'm not a Jewish person. Those aren't my people, that's not my holidays, I don't celebrate their things, I don't follow their laws, so why do the Hebrew scriptures matter to me? Others might say, Well, I kind of care about the Hebrew scriptures because it's the backstory of Jesus and the prophecies about him, and it gives us a full picture of God's working. But we might read the stories and say, look at how crazy these people are during the wander years. Uh-uh. I'm better than that. And Paul corrects both of those attitudes. 1,500 years later, when he writes to a church of people who are not Jewish mostly, but just people like you and me. And he says to them, listen, these things happen to them as examples for us. He explains in there, don't let their story be something that makes you feel proud of yourself and say, those simpletons, because it could happen to any of us. Be careful when you think you stand because you might fall. And don't be dismissive that the story doesn't matter to you because it's not your history, not your story, not your people. He says we have great history documented and preserved. Let it be an example and learn from it with humility because we could do the same thing if we're not careful. So with that spirit in mind, let's begin this journey through these crazy years called the Wander Years. And it starts today with a bunch of hungry people. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2, it says that there, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And think, Why would you complain about the people who brought you out of slavery? You were just complaining that you were in slavery and God brought you out. And then you complained at the Red Sea that you were going to die there because apparently God couldn't save you. And he did. He parted the Red Sea. Why are you complaining against Moses and Aaron? Well, here's why. Verse 3. They said, if only the Lord had killed us, Back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat, and we ate bread all that we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. It's an insane statement. Can I just for a moment here, give them some grace before we decimate and dissect what they did here. The grace is this, they're hungry. Okay, some of us can't throw too many stones because we know what it's like when we're hungry. You're not you, when you're hungry, right? Grab a Snickers, right? That's what they say. We call it being hangry. And most of the time that we're hangry, we're probably not too far from pulling off the side of the road and going to a convenience store and getting a snack or going back home to a full fridge. These are people who brought some food out of Egypt with them and they've eaten it and now they're hungry and they're looking around the wilderness and they're realizing, what are we going to do? There was, no, there was no IGA. There was no Streck and Mantill's chain nearby. Okay, there wasn't really prospects to feed the crowd. They're sitting there saying, oh no, we're in trouble. We're in the wilderness and we're hungry. So this is a legitimate problem. However, you think what they might do is say, hey, we're hungry. We should probably say, hey God, we're hungry. Moses, we're hungry. What's God gonna do? We know it's gonna be good because God did all these amazing miracles to bring us out of slavery. And God parted the Red Sea and God's led us with fire by day, I mean, night and cloud by day. God's in control. So, hey, we need to let you know we're getting hungry, but what's God's cool plan? But that's not what they said. Their attitude was, if only God had killed us back in Egypt. Really? Okay, that's that's one way of starting the conversation. They're like, there we sat around pots filled with meat. Ate all the bread to our heart's content. Really? That's what you remember about Egypt. Because I seem to recall you were at the end of a whip. I seem to recall you were crying out to God to deliver you from cruel bondage. But isn't it funny how we all do this? The good old days. The good old days, are it's the human nature thing. We look back after a period of time with rose-colored glasses, forgetting all the things that we hated at that period of time, all the things that weren't good. We just kind of forget it all. It just gets sentimental. And there's the things that aren't right now the way we want them. And because of that, the good old days. The good old days was, was slavery for them. That's, that was the good old days. But here they were. Oh, we had it so good in slavery because they weren't hungry. You know, here I'm complaining I want to be free. Here I'm free. I'm complaining that I want to be fed like I was when I wasn't free. It's just a human nature thing to say wherever I'm at, another spot is better. Wherever I'm at, it could be better than it is. And so now they says, you have brought us out here in the wilderness to starve us all to death. It's like, that's what, that's, yeah, that's, that makes sense. They brought you into the wilderness so they can starve you to death. That was God's master plan the whole time. Really? But they're complaining. Now, God, being more merciful than me, decides to do something about it. At this point, I'd be like, oh, really? So I'm not God. We can all thank him for that. <clears throat> Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Now, folks, that's a miracle. Again, if that happened ever to you, if you went out to your yard tomorrow morning and there were all these bags of groceries with little parachutes from God on them, you know, you'd be like, oh, man, you would know, be, you'd be, you'd never get over that. And, uh, you know, that would be a remarkable moment, right? I mean, He's I'm going to literally send food from heaven down to you. How often? Each day. As long as you're wandering in this journey, I'm going to feed you every day because there's no other way for you to get fed out here. That, folks, is another miracle that God is doing. He's each day that people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And then he says this, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. In other words, God is saying, I'm starting to see a pattern here. I brought you out of slavery because you complained about how bad that was legitimately. Every time you run into a new crisis, your go-to moment is not to trust me and ask for help, but to complain and accuse me falsely. So I think that your complaining is revealing a trust issue. So I'm going to feed you with some instructions to see if you can trust me or not, or if you're going to do your own thing. So he gave them some specific instructions. Basically what they were was that every day they're to go gather a certain amount of food up per person, and that'd be their food for the day, depending on how many people were in their house. And at the end of six days, they would not gather food on the seventh day, because God had not yet given them the Sabbath day law, but it was already kind of priming the pump. He was teaching them that the day was going to come when every week where they would not work on the seventh day. They would take what they make on the sixth day and make it last twice as long because they were supposed to have a day to rest. So he's given these instructions to see what the problem is here. In fact, on verse 5 he says, On the sixth day they'll gather food, when they prepare it, they'll be twice as much as usual. Sure enough, the food comes. Now I'm going to read some verses to you. And if you're one of those kind of religious people that gets all like, we must be very sober about the Bible and you don't like to joke and look at things through a, a funny lens, then you'll not like me right now for a minute because I just get tickled pink sometimes when I read things. I just, it makes me laugh. So this will be sacrilegious to the sanctimonious possibly, but this next part just makes me laugh, okay? So forgive me or whatever, okay? That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. Okay, so that would be pretty creepy right there. That's like the Alfred Hitchcock, the Birds, you know. Quail come in everywhere, cover the air, go outside and there's quail over all the ground. Everywhere you go, there's quail. That's memorable. The next morning around the, the area around the camp was wet with dew. It was wet with something, I would imagine. Anyhow, the quail leave. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. Don't get mad at me here, but I don't know. If I saw a bunch of quail cover every inch of the ground and fly away, and in their wake I found a bunch of flaky substances sitting on the ground, I would be like, "I don't think I want to eat that." Okay, um, I know I'm no I'm no uh, you know expert here, but that's you know. And so it was confusing. What is this stuff? In fact, in fact, verse 15, the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. I don't know what it was, but it probably rhymes with it. I don't know. Uh, they have no idea what it was. They're like. You know, what is this stuff? And Moses said, this is the food God has given you to eat. This is where I'm like, complain, complain about your food, would you? Here's something for you to eat. It wasn't that, okay? He, the, the description was it was some kind of coriander seeds. It was some kind of a sweet with honey taste. Probably gave him some kind of protein and carbs, energy. Food. It was probably a very healthy, well nutrition heavenly diet of amazingness, okay? It's just a really a weird story about how it came about. They said, what is it? So they called it manna. If you've ever been around long enough in cultural icons like that, you've probably heard the term manna from heaven. That's where it comes from. The manna that came from the sky, and they picked it up with this flaky substance and and sweet and the seeds, and they, they said, what is it? Which, by the way, coincidentally, is the same thing I say whenever I eat hot dogs. Like, what is it? I don't even know what this is. But I don't think that was manna, okay? Anyhow, so they gather their food every day. Now, Here's the deal. Verse 19, Moses told them, don't leave, keep any of it until morning. Why? Because God's going to give you more tomorrow. So don't keep any of it till morning. Eat it all today. This is your food for the day. And that seems like pretty simple instructions. This is where God's testing them. The the instructions seem basic. But do you think everyone followed the instructions? Why? Why would we, right? Because somehow someone's sitting around and, um, Jethro, what you thinking? Well, Deborah, I was thinking that we should save some for tomorrow, but we were told to eat it all today. Yeah, I know, but here's the deal. You know, what if we're hungry tomorrow? Well, God's going to give us more. Well, we haven't seen more yet, have we now? Deborah. So I think we save some for tomorrow, and that way if God doesn't come through, we still got a little more food, you know, and just play it smart. It's a smart thing to do. Lay up a little on the side. Okay, so they save it even though they were clearly told not to. Now look, he said, well, Arlen, why are you making a big deal about this? Because here's why. If, if, if God has led you through, out of slavery miraculously, parted the Red Sea, drowned your enemies, pillar of fire and cloud, and has fed you with magic food every day, you think you could just follow his instructions. But they're like, no, that doesn't make sense. We should save some. So they go to bed, and the next morning they wake up, and it says right here in the verse, some of them didn't listen, kept some of it till the morning, but by then it was full of maggots. It had a terrible smell. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and your senses are all extra sharp? Oh, what is that? Honey, get some Listerine. Oh, it's killing me, you know. And, and you, then you realize it's the food in the kitchen area, food area. And then you're trying to cover it up. Get it out of the tent. You're walking outside the whole neighborhood, all the tents around you. They're all gagging. What's going on out there? And you're doing your little walk of shame. Oh, I didn't listen to God. I saved some of my magic food, you know. So they walk out. So I got to go bury it in the ground somewhere and cover it up, you know. Walk of shame back to their house. I mean, it's like, really? Moses is angry. Moses is like, guys, you were given simple instructions. Again, so what's the big deal? I don't know. When the guy sends magic food from the sky, just go with his, his instructions. But again, leave it to people. So every day they go out and get more food. They learn their lesson. It's going to stink the next day. Eat it all up. But then the sixth day comes, and just like God said, twice as much as gathered today, because there will be no food dropped tomorrow. It's the Sabbath day. I'm going to give you a day of rest to teach you a pattern of living. So, so eat half of the food today and save the other half for tomorrow. Simple instructions. Everyone followed them, right? Wrong-o. So anyhow, what happens is they're sitting around the house. Hey, Deborah. Yeah, Jethro. Let's eat this up. We're supposed to save him for tomorrow. Hello? Woman, listen. We tried that last time. Did you forget? That didn't work out very well. What's wrong with you? Think, woman. Uh, we, gotta save. We, we can't save any. It stinks the next day. All those fools listen to those instructions. We've learned. In other words, the lesson they should have learned was hey, we should listen to God. But the lesson they learned instead was we tried it our way, and so now we have a new way to try it. We're gonna, we're gonna eat it all tonight. So they eat it all. And the next morning, they wander outside, right, looking for more. It says uh, verse 27, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. They go out there with their pots. Okay, come on, kids. All the neighbors are shaking their heads, like, what in the world's wrong with you? Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the flaky stuff? Where's the birds? I mean, seriously, like they're, they're all just, this is how we are. So I'm making fun, I'm making fun of it because it's ridiculous. But I'm doing it because this is who we are. I'm this way and you're this way. Let's just not be haughty. Let's laugh about it if we want to, but let's be real. It's like, You know what we do? I don't think that that makes much sense to me, God. In fact, If anyone ever gives us bad advice one time, we're like, I listened to someone one time, it didn't work out, I'll never listen to anyone again. But we forget all the times in our life that we did our thing our way and it didn't work out. We forget all about those and give ourselves more and more chances to do it our way again and again. Because certainly, I know best. We're always good, We're, we're, we're classic at this. Logic says, you know, deductive reasoning says, if I save the food this time and it stinks, don't save the food. That's the, common, that's the common thread here. And the common thread was really follow the instructions of the guy who provided you the food. But no. It's so easy as people to just be so sure of ourselves, to be so sure that we just know it best. And again, we forget all of our misses, and any hits we have prove that we're pretty good batters. But if anyone else ever misleads us, see, that's why we only listen to ourselves. And these people were stuck, so many of them, in a lack of trust, in a lack of faith. So the Lord is asking Moses, verse 28, the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and my instructions? They've got to realize that the Sabbath, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift. Next verse, the Lord's gift to you. The Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. And this is something that Jesus would say later. If you are one of those, if we can pause the story real quick here and step away, if you are one of those people who know the Christian scriptures very well, this is a reminder of something that Jesus says 1,500 years later. When the religious people of his time are like, you can't, eat, you can't pick corn on the Sabbath day because the law. And Jesus is like, the Sabbath was made for the people. The people weren't made for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't have a bunch of rules and made some people to keep his rules because he's a narcissist. He had people he loved and gave them rules to help them, laws to protect them, they were for them. That's what God's saying here. He says, look, you gotta realize this Sabbath is not some kind of a control lever, it's a gift. It's God saying to you that you need time off. It's God saying to you that you need a break, that everyone functions better when you don't work seven days a week, seven days a week without stop, that everyone works better with time to rest. And so God is building into your culture from the get-go after slavery a Sabbath. It's a gift. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there'll be enough for the two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Don't go out to pick up food on the Sabbath day. Oh. So now they figured it out, and now they started trusting God from this point on. Right? You don't want to guess, do you? Very next chapter, chapter 17, verse 2. So once more, the people complained against Moses. That's the key word They're against. You're going to see they were, they were volatile. They complained against Moses. They said, give us water to drink. They demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? Now, I'm going to give them a break here. Okay, fun fact, you've got to have water to survive. That's just the reality, okay? And again, there was no local convenience store to stop by to get a bottle of water or Gatorade. They had a real need here. They're not being unreasonable that water's important. They weren't being unreasonable that food is important. The problem is their answer was to complain and to accuse and speak against God and against Moses. Verse 3 says, tormented by thirst, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? It's such a, a, a nuclear way. Boy, do you have people in your life? Do you live with someone who does this to you all the time? They just can't say, hey, I, you know, I don't prefer that. It's like, you hate me. You know, You're trying to ruin my life. You're like, whoa, chill. <laughs> you know, you don't, you know, attack my, to attack what you don't like and to attack my motives? They're like, you brought us out here to kill us. If I'm Moses, I'm like, oh, yes, you're so right. The whole plan has been unveiled by you just now. We want all those miracle plagues to bring you out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea and all this stuff, just so we can kill you out here because God likes killing people in the wilderness more. It's a change of scenery. I mean, seriously, do you really think that's what God's doing? Do you really in your brain think that that's a logical accusation to make? He brought us out here to kill us. Or is that just an emotional vent? If if I don't like how it's going, I'm going to accuse you of the worst motives. They have a legitimate problem and a terrible attitude. Verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. In other words, the people were getting ready to pick up stones and kill Moses. Kind of funny, isn't it? God brought us out here and you brought us out here to kill us. Not, Not true. We're going to kill you. Okay, that makes sense. Only one of us has stones in their hand. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used to, to strike the water of the Nile. Call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I'll stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Now, again, can I just say, this is just one more, what are we at, miracle number 15 right now? If one of these miracles ever happened to us, we would never get over it. If, if one time in your life you took a staff or a rod and you hit a rock and water gushed out for you to drink, you would like keep the rock and you would never stop talking about it. If you had a, your video camera going, you would be TikTok famous, okay? Because that is pretty epic. And so so they have water, not just for a few of them to drink, but for the whole group to drink, and not just for the whole tribe of people of israel to drink one time this rock is going to be with them their entire journey they're going to take it wherever they go it's going to travel with them and they're going to drink over and over again when they're thirsty from this rock god is doing miraculous things that, the likes of which if you're a cynic would be like i can't even believe that and i understand we've never seen the likes of it in our life but god is doing something special Verse 7, so Moses named the place Massa, which means test. And Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us, or is he not? I don't know. Is he? What what does he have to do to show that he's with you? I don't know. It's like a manipulative thing, right? There's have manipulative people in your life. The people who are basically like, if you really are for me and you really love me and are with me, you'll do this. You know, oh, I keep proving myself by doing everything your way. Is the Lord really with us or not? I think the answer is obviously yes. We'll see tomorrow, you know. Okay. From there, they go to Mount Sinai. And you heard the story. We already went over this a few weeks ago. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. They're kind of afraid. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's fire on the mountaintop. They're kind of like, woo. you know, keep a distance. And Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other commandments. Why? Because this is a newly freed group of people who lived in slavery, who've never governed themselves, and God's given them laws to govern their new nation with. So he comes down with the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of others, and he recites these commandments to the people. It says in Exodus 24, verse 3, that Moses went down. He repeats all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And this is a key moment right here because now things are shifting. Prior to this moment, they were just in slavery saying, God, rescue us. God, where are you? And God just kept coming through. Even when they complained, he came through. But now he gets them to Mount Sinai. They see the thunder, the lightning, the fire on the mountain. And God's coming down through Moses to give them instructions of a new relationship. He says, I have obviously brought you out of slavery. Here's a covenant. Have no other gods but me. Don't make a graven image. Don't bow down and worship it. Treat each other right. Don't kill, don't steal, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, absolutely. God is now saying, you've seen what I can do. I've provided for you amidst the grumbling, but now I'm gonna come in and say, enter a covenant with me. I'm gonna do something special. I'm gonna make a nation out of you. I'm gonna bless the world through you. I'm gonna send the Messiah one day through your nation to bless the entire world. So here's what I want you to do enter a covenant with me. And they said, We're in. That's a key moment. So Moses now has repeated these instructions. Now he writes them down. And in verse 7, Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it out loud to the people. And again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded, we will obey. Okay, so Moses is, a, is called back up the mountain because they need a lot more regulations and laws. If you're going to govern a nation of people, you've got to figure out how you're going to navigate health concerns and you know, everything they have, they have you know, just laws, uh, between disputes between people, civil matters. So, so Moses goes back up in the mountain to meet with God further. They've agreed. They're still down there. In verse 13, it says, Moses and his assistant Joshua. Remember that name, Joshua. Moses and his assistant Joshua. Joshua was a very young man. They set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, you stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I am gone, consult with them. So in other words, while I'm gone, if you have a problem, I want you to talk to Aaron, my brother, because I'll be up the mountain getting more, more word from God. And up the mountain they go. And Moses spends the next 40 days, there's a lot of chapters take place while Moses is up the mountain. But the people are all down the mountain saying, cool, that's awesome, because we can take it easy, we're not... Traveling for the next while, taking it easy, setting up camp, eating our lovely flaky, flaky substance, you know, our manna. Life is great, right? wrong again. Because in chapter 32 and verse 1, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around his brother Aaron and said, Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Um, what happened to him? He's right up there. See the lightning, thunders, and the fire? He's there. He came out before? Yeah, see. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. He's, he's not here, is all I know. So make us some gods to lead us out of this place. Really? And Aaron's intimidated. So Aaron says, fine, fine, give me all your gold earrings. And it says that then Mo- Aaron took the gold and he melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Really? These, this, this calf they made up of their golden earrings. These are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not the guy that you've been complaining about when he doesn't feed you fast enough. These are the gods. It's insane, folks. Not the guy, not the fiery mountaintop above that Moses went up again. No, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. And they just entered a covenant, a relationship with God to be a special people he would do something special and be with. And, and, and he said, have no other gods but me. Don't make a graven image. Don't bow down and worship it. And here they are, the gods that brought me out of Egypt, made with our own hands, our own jewelry that we stole from the Egyptians. It's so ridiculous. It's so short-sighted. Because why? They were waiting 40 days and they got tired? Well, if God was in this, we'd have moved along by now. Snap, snap. So I'm, I'm over that. They're just now in idolatry already. And up in the mountain, God is having none of it. Verse 7. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, okay. <laughs> but before you get upset with God for being so upset, Let's just, get, let's just get real. How could God be so upset that he's supposed to be God? Really? We are made in his image. Can you relate to how we must be feeling? If I was in his shoes, they'd have been dead about three complaints ago anyhow, okay? So anyhow, but here's God. And we should all be able to relate. If you've ever led, you know, if you've ever owned a company, had employees, or been a foreman on a job, or ran a group, or, or been a mom or dad, you know how frustrating it can be sometimes. You know, and they're like, and Moses, and God's like, Moses, your people, moms and dads, can you relate to this? You say this to your spouse, your children are misbehaving again. Oh, my children are misbehaving. Yes, your children are misbehaving. Oh, I'm pretty sure you had a hand in this too. Don't even bring it up. Okay. You know, so anyhow, your people, God says, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. He goes on to say this, how quickly they've turned away from the way that I've commanded them to live. They've melted down gold and made a calf and have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying that these are your gods, O Israel, the branch of the land of Egypt. We just went over this. I've done all this for them. I've appeared to them. I've been so good to them. And then I told them, I'm asking you to put no other gods before me, but to trust, trust that I am the God who's been who I've been. And here they are. And God is over it. And so he says in verse nine, the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them and I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. Now God doesn't do this. God does not do, you know, sorry for the spoiler alert. God does not kill them all. But he's ready to right now. And, And again, before you think, what's God, what's God saying here? We're all made in His image. You ever been that spot where, you're like, you know, you're, you're with your kids and you know you're dealing with your children and they're being, they can't see how selfish or ridiculous or they're being, maybe it's a teenager or whatever, and you do all the right things, you say the right things in their presence because that's what you do, and you handle it right, cool, calm, and collected, and then you get behind closed doors and you get your spouse and say, "I'm gonna kill them. I'm gonna kill them in their neck." Not literally. Maybe you are literally. I don't know. I brought you into this world. I can take you back out of this world, you know. And so, so you know, you, because you trust him. And God trusts Moses here. God is with Moses meeting face to face. And he's like, Moses, I'm going to kill him. I'll make you a great nation instead of them, you know. We'll be done. Start this whole project over again. And Moses, thankfully, it's always helpful it's, it's, I'm not to pick on the spouse illustration too long, but if you have a frustration with your kids and one of you is like irrationally upset about it, it's always helpful if the other one's calm at the moment. At least one person's calm, you know? So Moses is like gonna talk, you know, God off the edge here. Verse 11, Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people? Look what he did there. God, why are you so angry with your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such a great power and a strong hand? I didn't do it, you did it, don't put that on me. It's you. He says, why let the Egyptians say the Lord rescued them with, their, with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains, wiping them from the face of the earth? In other words, the people, God, have accused you of bringing them out of there to kill them whenever things aren't going well. Don't prove them right. Don't let the Egyptians say, aha, God brought them out of there to kill them. That's a false accusation. Don't let it be true, of course. And God, God, is gonna, God doesn't kill them. But, but, but you see the heart, the frustration of God towards What did he say a minute ago? Stubborn and rebellious people. And so Moses says, Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember hundreds of years ago you promised them, you you bound yourself with an oath to them that you'd make their descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And give them all of this land that you've promised their descendants and they'll possess it forever. In other words, Moses says, God, don't think about how crazy they are. Think about their Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob generations ago that you made the promise to. Because, God, if you kill their descendants for being idiots and you give my kids a new nation and you make my kids the next promised people, I'm going to promise you something, Lord. Give it a generation or two. My kids will be idiots too. So then you'll be in the same boat all over again anyhow. So why don't you just go ahead and spare these ones? You know, he's just having a conversation with God. And so then it's Moses' turn to go down the mountain and get upset himself. Verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hand the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. The covenant that the people made with God, God wrote it on a stone. Think about this, God writing, like carved into a stone. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. That's some pretty valuable substance right there. And Moses is carrying them down the mountain. On the way down, he comes to Joshua, who went up with him partway. And Joshua's like, Moses, it sounds like war going on down there. No, Joshua, it's not war. God told me the people there made a golden calf. And they decided to worship it as their deity. And now they took all their clothes off. They've been dancing around naked, getting drunk on anything they could get drunk on. And they're having sexual immorality in a while. It's a big old hot mess down there. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's go take care of it. So down the mountain they go. But sometimes you hear it. You know, you've ever been in some spot in life where you hear something that bothers you, and then you see it up close and it really bothers you? Moses has heard the story, but now he's going to get mad. Verse 19, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, the whole orgy going on. He burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets, you know, the ones that God wrote on. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they made and burned it. He ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Woo, someone's hot right now. Can you imagine the shock factor when Moses comes down on a a rampage, you know? I mean, you know, you suddenly see these, there's Moses here, <gasps> and then the tablets are smashed against the, in, into pieces, and, and, and it, if you read the rest of the story, it's worse than this. Like, there's a group of people that were always the instigators in the, in the Israelites, they were always the troublemakers, and they kind of brought all this junk into the situation. They were always the ones that talked them into bad thinking, and these people are still rebelling when Moses comes down. And it's it's a mess, and so there's a little civil war breaks out. Moses actually has to say, who's on the Lord's side? Who's on the Lord's side? And some Levites join him, and before long, their swords are out, and and 3,000 people get killed in a skirmish here before they finally put down this rebellion. And all the other people are watching just the the civil war, the breakout, the bloodshed, and they calm down. Moses is mad. He's ground this thing into powder, throws it in the water, drink it, I don't want to drink it, drink it, you know? I mean, he's just mad. And if anyone looks at Moses right here and says, what an angry, he's an angry elf, you know. If they're mad at Moses right here, or if they think Moses has got an anger problem, do you know what they don't know? What they don't know is just a few hours earlier, he's up the mountain pleading with God to show mercy on them. It's easy in the heat of the moment to say, man, Moses sure has worked up and bothered, what an angry guy, and miss that he was behind closed doors just begging God and praying for mercy for the same people. And I want to say that because it's so true in life. It's so true in life when you're young. You don't always, when you're young growing up and you think your parents are mean because they won't let you go do something or they have consequences or ground you or some kind of consequences for doing wrong and you think, oh, they're just so mean, they don't care about me at all, it's because you see them having to do their job and you might have missed the part where behind closed doors they weep and they pray for you and they shed tears and they beg God to bless you. Don't miss the part where, the pair, where they love you because you only see the part where they gotta do the hard job. Or someone comes into your life and they, and they correct you and you're wrong or they speak into your life and they're upset and they inter, have an intervention or they try and say, hey, don't do that. And you're like, oh, they're, just so, they're so hateful, they're judging me. They might be the most compassionate people in the world who pray for you and love you. Don't misunderstand someone's zeal because it might be back with a big old heart behind closed doors. Yes, Moses is dealing with the people right now. But just a little while earlier, he was standing before God saying, God, please be merciful to the people. That's leadership right there. That's leadership. And why did this happen? Why did this happen? Like, what happened to these people? If you heard the stories that we've just been reading all day today? Like, what happened? How did they get so weird and crazy? Why do they keep misstepping? Why do they keep complaining? Why do they keep not trusting God, and, and why do they keep making bad decisions? And it's almost like we see them doing the same, these three things. They, they forgot the past, they ignored the present, and they feared the future. They forgot the past, how bad it was before God showed up and brought them out of slavery. They forgot the past, how God had blessed them and blessed them and blessed them, and, and instead they're like, well, that was nice yesterday, but what have you done for me today? And even then they ignored the present. They're like, where's this Moses guy? It's been taking 40 days. I'm impatient. I'm not sure God's in this. As they eat the manna that day, ignoring that God is still in their present, but it could be better. And they feared the future. We don't know where he's at. What if God's not with us? What if he lets us go? Let's just go back to Egypt. They forgot the past, ignored the present, and feared the future. It's a weird, weird thing, but I think all of us, if we were honest, as Paul said to the church in Corinth 1,500 years later, to non-Jewish people like you and me, read the story not to look down on them. You can laugh about it and stuff, but don't think that you're standing better than that. That kind of pride leads to a fall. Instead, let it be an example. You see, the people in the story, they were so focused. They were so focused on the blessings of God that they forgot that the blessing was God. So focused on the blessings of God. Oh, get me out of Egypt. That was nice. Part of the Red Sea. That's nice. Hey God, where's the food? Oh, that's nice. Where's the water? They're so focused on what the next blessing of God. Let's move it, let's keep moving here. And they forgot the blessing was God. All of those things happened because God did them. And having Him there was the blessing. But sometimes we get past. Who God is and the relationship He wants to have with us. And we start saying, Yeah, that's nice, God, but I want to manipulate that. You want a relationship with me and say, If you really do, prove it. Give me everything I want. I want your blessings. But we're in a better place when we stop saying, Where are the blessings of God? and start saying, Where is the God of the blessings? So now they're stuck. They don't know where to go from here. Everyone's at a stalemate. God has basically said to Moses, Moses, it's better that I don't travel so close with the people. You take the people, go to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel with you. We'll draw straws. The unlucky angel gets to go with these people. He'll make sure you get to the promised land. It's all going to be fine. I better check out or I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> you know? and, so, and Moses is like, uh-uh, God, we're not going to go, not without you. So this whole stalemate happens. In fact, Moses stops going up into the mountain and sets up a little tent called the Tent of Meeting outside of the camp. Every day he would go out into the Tent of Meeting and meet with God and try to figure out where they go from here. And the story goes in, in uh, Genesis, Exodus 33, 11, that inside the Tent of Meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. as one speaks to a friend. That's amazing, isn't it? God had such a personal relationship with Moses. And then it says this, afterwards Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua the son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Why? Because God's presence was there. And I just want to say this to you. This is one of the incredible, incredible things about the story that I love so much And I don't have time to park here because we got to wrap this thing up pretty quick here. But I want you to notice it with me just for a moment. That that Moses was—we're kind of looking at how absolutely idiotic the people were acting sometimes. But on the other side of the coin, you have Moses keeping his trust in God, leaning into his relationship with God. And you have a young man like Joshua. And I respect Joshua. He'd go into the tent, Moses would meet with God, and then Moses would go and Joshua says, I'm gonna stay behind because I want the presence of God. And I just look at that and I say, God, give us young people like that. God, give us young men and women like that who are willing to sit behind and say, I'm not here for the hoopla. Everyone wants the show. You know, they had the show, they had the delivery from slavery, the fire by night, cloud by day, parting the Red Sea. I want the show. Joshua's saying, I just want to be in the presence of God, I want to know Him myself. God, give us young people today, and old people too, but I love it when you see a young person like Joshua who says, I just want to have a relationship with God. And I don't need the bells and whistles, the music's fine, the party's fine, the gang's fine, but I need to find time to talk with God and feel his presence and hear his voice, hear from his word and speak to him. Joshua is being developed right now and he's turning into a man that can one day be a great leader but he would stay behind in the tent when Moses left and say, I don't want to leave. It's not a show, it's not flashy in here, but I'm not looking for the party, I'm looking for the God who meets with us. I want to know him. Boy, God, give us a heart like that. Anyhow, they're at a stalemate. One day, verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, you know, you've been telling me to take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me by whom you, you whom you'll send with me, you've told me that I know you by name and I look favorably on you. Well, Lord, if it's true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people; they're still your people. So Moses is saying, God, you got to go with us. You got to go with us. Don't send us without you. Verse 14: The Lord replied, "I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine." For you. So Moses should be content, but Moses is still nervous. And he says in verse 15, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. God, if you're not going to go with us, then don't, 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 don't send us. God, if you're going to, if you're going to, let's stay here. Please, God. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I do look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And Moses once again presses one more time and says, then, then show me your glorious presence. And I can't show you for sake of time, but in the rest of that chapter and the next, Moses goes back up the mountain and has this amazing encounter in the very presence of God that is just Amazing, just a connection point with God passing by. No one can see God that certain, in a certain way and, and live in this life, but he saw it from the back and had a, a special moment with God from this story here. But Moses is doing something the people weren't doing. They were looking for the blessings of God and forgetting that the blessing was God. And Moses is like, God, it's you. It's your presence. And Joshua was sitting behind saying, yes, It's you. And I want to say today we didn't tell this very long story today just to say, aren't those people crazy? Ha ha ha. It's a weird story. And honestly, some of this stuff, if you've been around church a long time, you look back at it and you're like, what in the world? I mean, it's kind of a crazy ancient history of people that aren't even, you know, related to us by blood. I mean, but when we read this story, I want us to do what Paul the Apostle said the church is supposed to do. Let it be an example. Let it be an example to how you and I live today. And here's here's the here's the question. What are you going through? Tough stuff in your past? Tough day today? Fears about tomorrow. Let me give us some advice from the story today. You can overcome the past, endure the present, and face the future, standing in the presence of God. The people didn't miss the point that the blessing was God, but Moses knew. He said, God, if you, you just got to go with us. Your presence has got to be there or it doesn't matter. Because all of the stuff that took place wasn't about what took place. It was about that fact that you were there. You were the secret sauce. Without that, it is nothing. And we're not going to sit here and pit you against our desires. We're just going to say, God, be with us. And folks, today, that's me and that's you. Whatever you're facing, if, you're over, if you've got a past that's troubling you, you can overcome that sucker. If, you got, if you're in the present and you're just enduring today, you can endure the present and you can face the future, whatever it holds, standing in the presence of God, saying, God, as long as you're here. In fact, I want to give you a sample prayer, a simple prayer that you can take with you today along your faith journey. And you can write this down, take a screenshot of it on the screen, but I want you to consider taking this prayer with you and remember to pray it when you need it most. And that prayer goes like this. God, yes, as long as you're with me. It doesn't matter how good things are going. It doesn't matter how choppy things are going. God, yes, as long as you're with me. You, you want me to, to do, to, I want to do something and you're saying don't? Mm. Okay, God, yes, as long as you're with me. You, I, you want me to do something I don't want to do? You want me to go somewhere and get moving and I don't want to? God, yes, as long as you're with me. I'm not here to bend your will to mine. If you're good, you'll bless me the way I want you to, and if I don't like what I'll do, I'll do my own thing. No, 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 whatever you want. You, God, I want to go. You want me to stay and sit still? Yes, as long as you're with me. God, I'm impatient, like Moses in the mountain for 40 days, and you know it's been longer than that for me. Tick-tock. But God, you want me to be patient and wait on you? Yes, as long as you're with me. I don't want to have the, the attitude towards God that says, God is this lever I pull. If I play the game, I get what I want out of life, and if not, then he's not good. I want to realize that the whole point is God. It's not the blessings of God. It's the blessing that is God. That I want God. I want his presence. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Joshua. God. I know what matters, and it's you with me. If I have that, all the other stuff will work out. All the other stuff will come with the territory. You'll deliver. You'll provide. I don't know how. doesn't matter. Yes, as long as you're with me. That ought to be the prayer we ought to pray. And I think that it's a, it's a life posture. And I think that in some extent, you know, You're saying it today by being in church, by watching online, by being in the second service or the early service earlier today to come and say, you know what? I know that what I need entering a new week is the presence of God. That's what I want. Be with me. But I hope that beyond Sunday morning, you can go home this week and open up your eyes for a new day and say, God, I've got some things about my past, my present, or my future that have me concerned, troubled, or Maybe even overwhelmed, but I'm going to get my eyes off of that and onto you and say, Lord, as long as you're with me, we're going to be okay. And if you want something from me, I'm not going to tell you why it's unreasonable or why I know better. I'm going to trust you and say yes. Because the secret to the whole caboodle is your presence. As long as you're with me, yes.